As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, everybody. My name is uh, Reverend Rich Topple. I'm with the Church of the Holy City in Washington, D.C. And uh, among other things, I do social impact investing, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. And I also work in the policy world. So I have three worlds, like the business world, the political world, and the spiritual world. And that's a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today in the sense of this concept of spiritual entrepreneurship. And I'm going to be making a case that this spiritual entrepreneurship, which is really uh, based on the keynote the other night, if you want to think about it as mystic activist, okay? It's bringing two things together that don't sound like they usually do go together, and I do think this has great potential for the church, and particularly for our church. So we'll see how it goes. So if you agree or disagree, I'll go through, try to make a presentation. If you have clarifying questions, stop me. And at the end, we're going to have a discussion, and you might even have cases of where you are coming from and you have specific requests, like what would you do in this situation? Uh, I've been at Church of the Holy City in Washington since Advent of 2015. So you'll, and I'm using the church as a case study rather than talk in great abstraction about it. I'm gonna, you'll see a lot of stories from the church, okay? And this is a test drive, I love your feedback and I love your constructive criticism, so here we go. Uh, First thing I'd like to know is, you signed up for the class, you probably didn't know what was really going on, why you're here, so I'm just curious if anybody would share what they'd like to learn during this time. Why did you take your precious time to come to this workshop? What would be interesting? Yeah, I want to know you, Oh, how sweet. Nobody right. ever says that. That's so wonderful. All right, that's a good reason. You'll get to know me in this presentation, for sure. So that was good. Anything, any other reasons that you uh, came Yes, the alternate way of doing church. An alternate way of doing church. That's a great reason. That'll be a big thrust of what I'll be talking about. Turn. Um, a lot of times we want our church to grow, but we think uh, you're kind of passive about it. And yes. Imagine that you have some active uh, ways of looking at that. Yes, the old let's wait and open the doors and they will come in, right? Strategy. It has not really worked, but yeah, this is, this is the, you'll, you'll get that for sure. Yes, Corey. I'm curious to hear uh, what some of the spiritual entrepreneurs are getting up to. Okay, cool. Good. We'll get to a little bit of that, but it's so nascent mm -hmm. that you'll see that some of them are just at the beginning phases. Uh, that's a great question, and hold me to it. Anybody else? How to attract the spiritual but not religious, particularly uh, millennials. Right. How do you attract the spiritual but not religious, um, and sometimes even we're calling the nuns now. People are saying, I'm not affiliated with anything. That's a great question. See if, see if we get to that. Um, good. Any other questions or comments? Yes. I've, I've seen a lot of different alternative forms of churches as people look for you know, what we do instead of what we do today. Yes. And, um, so what I'm looking for is how does this connect with our theology? Excellent. So the, one of the questions is does it connect to our theology? Because a lot of new church strategies are about like get rid of everything and do our thing. And so you're saying, I want to see if this actually connects to what we believe. So we'll see. You can tell me later if you think it does or it doesn't. Okay? Yes? Um, what is the power driving force behind the mega churches? What? Right. So that, I won't be dealing with it directly, but hold me to it, and I can talk about that at the end more so. But this, this will be, uh, in a way, not contrary, it's just a very different model than the mega church. 
but uh, let's let's figure that out so we can have that question. It's a great question. Anybody else? Some of you have a, something that you came here for where you haven't said it yet. No? Okay, you're gonna meditate to me, and we know that thoughts are action, so I got them. Here we go. So we've learned, we've talked about what you want to learn from this. So. We live in extremely troubled times. That has been a theme of this convention. I'm not telling you anything new, but uh, you see the partisan polarization is as bad in the United States particularly as it's been since the Civil War. Uh, people in both sides saying, I wish a percentage of the other side would be dead in a recent poll. So we're really wishing death on each other in large percentages because of political viewpoints. I don't need to talk about school shootings, but just to, as an example of, of, of something. And you, maybe you've seen that architecture um, from Italy where it's, it's the parliament, it's the congress, it's the council talking about global warming. And that's a beautiful sculpture as they become enveloped uh, in the water. I think that sort of sums it up. So climate change and global issues are really, we're faced with some difficult challenges. We heard that in the keynote presentation. Any Everybody, we all in agreement that we're facing like unprecedented challenges? Does that make sense? Okay. We need solutions and we need new solutions. Uh, I just want to highlight one other thing that doesn't get talked about too much, but it's definitely showing up in the literature. It's showing up in your church, showing up in your life. People have not really been this isolated in modern times. So loneliness is off the charts. Having an important conversation with somebody is becoming less and less common. Um, suicide among young people is, uh, un, uh, especially young, young women, is completely unusually skyrocketing. So what is happening that kids are wanting to check out in record numbers and everybody is saying, I feel very isolated and alone when we were promised that we'd have a connected world, right, with our phones and Facebook and all that, but we're seeing just the opposite. So that's a really important part of this. An epidemic of loneliness. Okay. So, one of the questions was about the millennials and where they are. For most people looking for a solution, and I'm going to talk mainly next gen, they are not looking to church for solutions. One, churches are closing in record numbers, 6,000 a year. We face that in our church. I'm on the governing board of the National Council representing you, and it is the story of all those churches and all those meetings. Talking about decreased budgets, losing churches. So churches are actually closing in on the decline as a place that would be where you'd go. And then on the right, uh, a famous minister, but he sort of symbolizes what I hear from a lot of young people. Church is a place of intolerance. It is a place of exclusion. It's interesting that in D.C., nobody's ever asked me, what's your view on the Trinity? Is it three and one or one and three? But they will say, where are you on gay marriage? Do you ordain women? You know, I mean, just social questions of inclusion and discrimination. They're less concerned theologically, and that's become theological, uh, some of the questions of our day. So church has become less of a place people would go to as the social capital is breaking down. Question? One more definition of what is nuns? Uh, nuns, I'm sorry. Nuns? So nuns. I, I'm sorry, that's a great question because I didn't explain it. So that's a group of people that pollsters are using, it's a, a new phrase, a piece of particularly younger people say, I affiliate with none, no church. And they're the fastest growing segment of the population in terms of Pew's numbers on faith and engagement. It's the fastest growing. So I'm not associated with none. I should add that that none category is not limited to faith. People, uh, particularly younger generation, don't want to be associated generally with political parties or any affiliation. Even hearing today when we did our pastors and they were saying, I, you know, they're swearing to something. I will, what was the phrase, Ross? Do you remember? But it was something like, I. I, I, I allegiance. 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 That word, when I heard it, I was like, that word would not fly with a lot of my younger folks I'm engaged with. They would not want to be, a, they wouldn't want to be under someone's control or swearing to something else. So that's really interesting. So that's a great question. Thank you for clarifying that. So the next gen I find is seeking solutions outside the church. Is anybody not familiar with WeWork, for example? Never heard of it before? So you never heard of it? Okay, so WeWork is basically a community office opportunity. 
you would get a desk, you get a chair, you pay X amount a month, you get coffee, and it's really become a place of community among young folks. It's where they're seeking solutions. So these are huge. It's one of the fastest growing companies in the United States. And most cities in Washington, we have about eight WeWorks that are extremely profitable. You will pay anywhere from, you, you'll pay $500 a month for a desk to be at WeWork. So this is a place where people are coming together. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's a place where people are looking for solutions, not so much church. And what the, a lot of them are doing here is describing themselves as entrepreneurs. They're not wanting to sign on to the company. The old way was, you know, you went and worked for the company, you worked your whole life. You know that world is gone. Well, it's, it's not that they're, they, they're saying they're entrepreneurs. That's because we are in a gay economy and that over 50% of the jobs are independent because they, they're not full-time with benefits. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not full-time benefits. And so even the WeWorks are presenting themselves and saying, maybe we could offer benefits. Maybe we could uh, do your dry cleaning here. Maybe we could provide health care. So it's an interesting, it is the gig economy, if you're familiar, that's a great phrase, where people are doing their gig. They're driving Uber, and they're delivering Uber, and, uh, but they're not finding generally full-time employment. Part of that is the gig economy can help it, and the other part of it really is uh, a freedom of not being under control of a corporation that controls my life, like my parents did as much. So these are incredibly popular. One of the reasons you would go to this is to network. You would meet other people in the gig economy. Corey? It's really fascinating to hear that they're, they're going to use essentially collective bargaining uh, within WeWork, perhaps, to provide insurance for people who pay for the service. Just at the, this is just the very beginning that WeWork's figuring it out. Huh. But once you have a closed community, yeah. it, it resembles, it reminds me of the labor unions, because you would have a much greater negotiation ability to say, if you're in the WeWork healthcare program, so this is just now being thought through and thought out by WeWork. But WeWork is extremely entrepreneurial and has a very good business model, so they're looking at this and trying to figure it out. So are they a customer of WeWork, WeWork, or are they a contractor? With these various groups? Yeah. It's, all, it's, all, it's all emerging. It's, what I'm describing is like, you can see where this is going. They're going to essentially be a place where you could have 42 entrepreneurs, but we might get the common benefits. It starts with the coffee machine and the cocktail hour at night and the networking and the opportunity to use the roof. And you pay for these rooms and they have old time phone booths like from England <laughs> in the space that are super cool. And that's where you go to your calls because a lot of times you're in an open space. So you're paying, you could, for a space like this, you could have, if you can imagine, 20 tape desks, people talking, connecting. I gotta go do a call, I'd walk into a phone booth on my cell phone. So that's what's that's kind of what's going on. They didn't die. They have reemerged. Okay. And then the in my experience, I do a lot of coaching and strategy. The next generation looks to have action in the world. They, and I, I call these the outer life solutions. I think I'm going to go out into the, my, my outer life. What's my career going to be? I'm probably going to go into the nonprofit, political, or business world. Um, and of course, in DC, a lot of, much more than almost anywhere else, right? a lot of people are in the political, so you probably don't hear that everywhere. But they're looking for these career paths. So you see they're, they're going to climb. The guy on the right is climbing the career ladder. He's going to join up with who's, you know, who's Allen and become a consultant. Um, or go to Wall Street and work for Goldman Sachs. And that is really, Goldman Sachs, for example, for many would be considered a gold standard of uh, career success, making a lot of money on Wall Street. Others are looking to play up, become political leaders. And then the other is the nonprofit sector, is another place that they're looking to do. It's all exterior focused. And you didn't mention um, business, um, I forgot the term is, uh, the new, the new legal term. These right. So what you're talking. So in a way, I'm just. These are basically the way people are approaching the world. And the space that I'm in is called social impact, and that's what you're getting at, B Corps. And mm -hmm. I kind of include that right now under nonprofit, meaning okay. I'm trying to do good in the world. If you're a nonprofit, you're usually taking less of a salary. You're trying to do good. And if you're going into business, you're probably maximizing your finances, and maybe you're sacrificing your personal life or even some of your perspectives. 
And then in politics, again, uh, much more complicated. But that's kind of, if you want to have action in the world, you go, these are the kind of places you take a career in. But what about your inner life? So the inner life, we all believe there's an inner life. Anybody disagree with me that there's an inner life going on? You're probably at the wrong convention, but. <laughs> so where they, the inner life has also got its thing going, right? And that would be, you'd do it through prayer, Yoga is really taking off. Um, when we arrive here in town, uh, Annabelle is from Church of the Holy City with me, so she'll verify what really happens there. But we noticed on the main strip here, a town that once was called a church town, I looked up the history, has yoga studios in there. So yoga is a place that has, I'd say it's less, it's less spiritual, but more of a stretching, but it's become a huge place, particularly in urban areas. The other is meditation, and the whole um, meditation movement has taken off through meditation apps, their you know, conferences on meditation. So the inner life has become a thing itself that people are also pursuing. So you can kind of either decide to go into a career, or you can kind of go into your inner life. They're, they're usually very separate for, for most people. Did I have a question over here? Okay. Great. So, the inner and outer life in our culture right now have been broken apart. And so it's very frustrating for people in either of these categories. This is a good example of my inner life solutions, particularly ministers that I get calls from. And they say, no one told me how to do a budget or run a meeting or raise money. Or if you're in... Delaware, right, the Wilmington Church, how to be a contractor. You and I are both doing contracting on a weekly basis at our churches. We're talking to builders and trying to get things done on time with budgets. We didn't, that, that was not something you would be taught in theological school about how to do it. I don't know if it is now, but I, certainly I didn't have one course on these things. And so what are you doing? You're put in, if you're a minister, for example, you're put in the most difficult business situation because you're my board, you vote on my salary, I'm supposed to lead you, and now we have business meetings that are can kind of run amok or not run well or we're out on the budget or um, I always would, do, I've done a lot of strategies for churches in our denomination and I found that they'd say, we love our minister, we love our minister, we love our minister, no evaluation. And one day they said, we don't like our minister. They did something wrong. They're out. And the ministers were like, I have no idea what happened. They just love me at Christmas and now it's Easter and suddenly I'm out. So there's not even the business structures of an evaluation or telling you what's right or wrong. So I get a lot of, I would say the inner life, people in the inner life solution, they feel like they don't get the business skills. Okay? But those who are focused on the outer life are having real frustration as well, maybe even greater. And so I hear this all the time. Rich, I climbed the corporate ladder, and I, you know, I did everything they told me to do, and I got to talk, it is completely empty. Yes, I have a nice apartment. Yes, I have a nice car. I am in a crisis. I am empty. This didn't fill me. What is going on? The story is not true. If you make a lot of money, you'll be happy. I'm not happy. Uh, another thing is I, I, I recently spoke at something called the Family Office Association of America. These are fund managers for wealthy families. And literally in the conversation with one of the fathers who was there with his daughter, he said, I've made all this money, I've invested it really well, I've worked my butt off so that she can inherit a multi-million dollar family fortune. And the daughter was like, but I never had you. You were never with me. What about me? Uh, and so I used the phrase, that people are so biblically illiterate that they didn't know I was using it, but I said, what is a profit of man to gain you know, multi-millions but lose his daughter? Right. <laughs> uh, another guy at the conference said to me, uh, a millennium started yelling, he said, climate change, climate change, 11 years, we're going to all die. I am from a multi, and it was a very famous name, multi-million dollar family. I've got money, I've got wealth, you are coddling us. You're not challenging us enough. What should we do? And I said, I've got a plan for you. Park $100,000 a year for yourself for the rest of your life and give the rest away. And guess what? He went away sad. Uh, and then again, I was like, this is weird. he really said, well, I didn't mean that. I'm not, I can't, like, give it all away. Um, no, that's not going to work. $100,000 a year. Who could live on $100,000? So 
just to give you a sense, these, these frustrations with the, in the financial world. Now, DC is, I'm using a DC quote that I hear all the time, but I meet with young people on Capitol Hill, and they are literally 30, 35. They have their hands on the most powerful levers of government. And what do they tell me? I am powerless. We can't do anything. And I'm like, well, hold it, you're on the Appropriations <coughs> Committee. You, like, literally make our budget. They're like, you don't understand. We're powerless. We can't do anything. It's the elites that control things. I'm like, okay, who are the elites? You're running the system. And I said, what about your boss? And they go, they're powerless. So I came, lived my life, went to school, ran for office, or, you know, I'm a chief of staff. I'm doing everything, and I came here. It's not what they told me. I am not getting anything done, and I feel empty. And the culture in Washington is, to the extent that you hate the opposition, and you can articulate that cleverly in a tweet, you'll be more successful. So these are very spiritually damaging situations. So that, that world isn't working out either. The inner life people are crying, the outer life people are crying. So I make a case that our times require spiritual leaders offering sacred places that foster community to develop both the inner and outer life together. That's what I, I think that we have things completely separated. And I argue the church needs to be a home for spiritual entrepreneurs. These two phrases, spiritual and entrepreneur. Interestingly enough, the two phrases, actually, uh, my spiritual friends do not like entrepreneur. They say it reeks of capitalism and money and greed and business and everything that's wrong. And the entrepreneur world's like, can't you find another word? How about mindful? Spiritual is so religious. So I'm not sure that word will, that phrase will be the phrase that will end up lasting over time, but it is a great way to describe it. Now, this is interesting. This is Church of the Holy City, and this is a gathering of spiritual entrepreneurs from around the country, and I literally just emailed everybody I saw doing stuff and said, I can't fly in, I can't pay you to come, but would you come for a gathering in our church, and uh, we'll buy the sandwiches and we'll buy dinner. And they did, and it was a fascinating discussion. Um, and one of the problems, I'll just say, to give you the real world problems, is that that day was a hot day and we had to keep moving around within the church because it was, the church is unaccessible in hot weather. So that's like, that's like the real world challenge. And, uh, but it was, a good, it was a good start. So spiritual entrepreneurs, we might know a few in this denomination. You certainly recognize the lady on the left as a spiritual entrepreneur, someone who absolutely, Helen Keller was deeply involved in the world, right? She was lobbying, she was active. Swedenborg, even when he's having these crazy dreams, is showing up at the parliament. You know, he is living in both worlds. And anybody know who that is on the right? Any guesses? What? No, it's a good guess. It couldn't be the wrong picture, but Jim doesn't know, I could have the wrong picture. It's, it's an actually earlier picture of Johnny Appleseed. Johnny Appleseed's life is a perfect spiritual entrepreneur story. Because what does he do? He makes money through his horticulture business. And, um, and he's sharing a spiritual message. Right? Pardon me? He made quite a bit. He made quite a bit. And then the sad part is, because it was hard cider, the government destroyed its crops during Prohibition. But, that's, that's what happens. But, we have role models within our denomination of people who have integrated the two. Okay? So, I was, I've been thinking now, after doing this for a couple years and, and pushing this topic, what are the elements? And it's really changed, and I'm sure it will change next time I do the presentation. But one of the things I thought was, we, uh, I guess one of my biggest revelations, particularly being at a church, is the power of space and place and sacred space and the need of that in the culture. I can talk more about it. That's probably the biggest change. I don't know that this can happen just anywhere. The spiritual spaces that we have are completely unique. And when they're gone, they're gone. They're, they're like great records. I mean, when they're gone, they're gone. So there is something about space I find particularly uh, powerful. But I came up with seven uh, 
things that I think you could incubate uh, spiritual entrepreneurs. I'll talk about all seven. But a theology of integration, inclusive sacred space, welcoming to local community, curious and caring congregation, facilitates eye-thou dialogue, provides business expertise, offers investment potential. Some of those you were like, yeah, that sounds familiar. And some of you are like, what is he talking about? Let's go through them. Okay, this one got a little knocked off. Uh, we switched to Google Slides, but with this crowd, you get the, you, I don't even have to, you don't have to read it. Swedenborg is completely unique, I think, but Jim will know more. I find in the theologians where he's an integrator of the spirit and your moral and civic life. And he literally says, you can't have a spiritual life if you're not engaged in a civic life. We really don't hear that in any other theology, we sort of say. It's very split up. This is, the, this is your work life, and you do your stuff on Sunday, and maybe the two will meet. But it's very, um, very integrated theology of your body and your <coughs> spirit being united. Um, and I will, I'm not sure even where that quote got cut off, but, oh, there it is. Why do you do good is the essence of the civic life. That's, <laughs> so, um, but also critical to this work and why our theology, you asked, does this relate to our theology? I'm saying it's the number one most interesting thing. I'm not saying throw away the theology. All faith paths are good is also becoming less unique over time, but that ability to say to somebody with all sincerity who comes to me, who is Muslim, Jewish, or doesn't know, and says, I'm somewhere, and I don't have to say, I really can't work with you, because you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. First thing you need to do that, then we can talk about working together in a more, I can just say, wherever you are in your faith path, that's good. And that's a relief to people. Particularly the people in my group who are, uh, one of our young guys was born in Iran, so he's got a Muslim parent and a Christian parent. Another member of our church is a, uh, who's, who's not with us now, but he, he's left to, to come back to California, but he was a Jewish cantor who was uh, Dell, who was a scholar of Swedenborg and knew more about Swedenborg than I did. And he came and said, I got a really strange request. Could I uh, chant in the service in Hebrew? I said, that would be perfect. And it really is. It wasn't like, oh, let's be, let's be open to diversity. It really fit with our theology. So that theology, I think, makes us unique in that we see the physical and the spiritual as connected. They can't be separated. And that we see all faith paths are good. All right, the second I said is having an inclusive sacred space. I would probably not say this when I was younger. I, the, the, the value of having a, uh, a space, but I'm discovering that um, when you walk into the church, anybody who walks in says, oh my gosh, this is really spiritual. So whatever the architects put into it, the stained glass, the architecture, the design, people, whoever they are, say, this feels holy. And increasingly, particularly in Washington, we're going to fight for the holy space. I would say earlier, my more practical self would have said, think of all the people you could help by selling space, because you could dump the money in that would be good. But I'm really understanding the power of architecture, art, beauty, the good, the true. And so the space offers it. So we are definitely an inclusive space, as you can see. Uh, that's a uh, question. do a lot of retreat centers, personal and group retreats, to keep their buildings open. Exactly. That's, that's actually very entrepreneurial. The Catholic Church has a long history of right being very entrepreneurial with those convents, monasteries, and so forth. And now the retreat business. So just these pictures, one, uh, that's our treasure on the right, the picture on the far left of me, Nikki, who uh, was born in Iran, grew up in Ohio, um, and that's Annabelle's dog, Beto. You can guess who Beto was named for, and I know political activist. And so that's Beto the dog. And Beto comes to church every Sunday, so we're inclusive. We rent out our 11 a.m. time to Ethiopians, and uh, we meet at five. Uh, traditional communion, that's a gay marriage up on the right-hand side of, uh, uh, and um, it was my first ever where I spoke Spanish, so that was a feat. Oh, wow. uh, I read Spanish, I don't know what they heard. <laughs> and then, um, and in the bottom right corner, 
Uh, inclusion for churches, I think, is a tricky thing. It gets beyond it. But this woman came to a memorial service we did for Malcolm Peck's wife, our, our long-standing president. The wife died. She did a memorial service. And it's embarrassing because this, is a, this one is a dear friend and a quadriplegic. And we are terrible at handicap accessibility. So we have rigged up this terrible ramp of wood. And, you know, it's, I'm just... So she comes, and my first thought as a pastor is, I'm embarrassed, and oh my God, it's going to break on the thing, you know, whatever, and I'm nervous, and is she going to be angry at us because we don't have a proper handicap accessibility? But long story short, though, is we stay together, the, and the group went downstairs, and that's impossible. Or, uh, anyway. And uh, we, she and I sat there, and at the end of the day, she said, I love learning about Swedenborg, I love being here today, and... She gave me a fairly large gift in cash and said, you need air conditioning. I want to help you in that direction. So, I mean, it flipped. And now she's, uh, she's at home, and she said, I want to make my ministry in the home, in the community, raising funds for the church. So I'm a I was a professional fundraiser. Maybe I can help you. So you just don't know. You know what I mean? And you can, it can never be patronizing. We shouldn't be counting people and saying, I want to mix this and that. We should just look at each person. And who knows? Um, Nikki's interesting, too, because he uh, came into church jogging, by, kind of by accident. And he just jogged into church and said, oh, I feel really stupid. Like, I'm in running clothes. And I said, no, come on in. He just, something just told me I had to stop in and see this place. I said, come in, jump, you know, sit down, do it. And we talked afterward. What he was most interested in was the spiritual entrepreneur aspects. He said, I want to get into enterprise. I work for a financial company. So a few weeks later, he came for a few weeks, and then um, I put to the newsletter, I'm going to try to get a loan for our denomination, but I don't have time or necessarily the expertise to write a loan that can explain the repayment structures accurately. Does anybody help? And uh, Nikki is a financial guy, so he helped write the loan uh, documents at 25 by doing an assessment of all of our spaces and our use assessments. So again, you just don't know, but it is an inclusive and sacred space, and that's unique for our theology. Welcoming to the local community. This is really hard for churches, and it's hard for our church. But you'll see that's a fashion show. It took place on top. That's the altar. Uh, here's a rap group uh, doing a video. And this is the spiritual entrepreneur gathering that we did. So our church is very open to the community. We are very known in the community as an open place. And we've really, we're putting business systems in place. And it's, uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective, been very good for our budget, too. Um, but it is becoming more known in the community. I cannot tell you how many people say, I've lived in this neighborhood for 25 years. I've walked past this. I've never come in. I didn't know anybody was still meeting here. It was going on. So being well-picked, we're now getting a good reputation. We have a concert series called Music with the Angels every month that's free. And uh, we get just people from the community. So letting people know it's, well, it's, it's welcoming. And I keep stressing welcoming and inclusive because the image of church is not that. We have to overextend the message of inclusion. So our congregation, the fourth thing is a curious and caring congregation. Um, this doesn't work if, uh, and Annabelle talked about what made the group. Our group's kind of curious if you come in and you're a stranger. We're not out to win you over, and we're, but we're curious about you, and it's very caring. And so those folks in that picture, the bottom right, all just joined the church as did Annabelle this year. And none of them had ever heard of Swedenborg a year ago. So, and we read Swedenborg every week and they love Swedenborg. So it's not an either or. But the point is, um, it's a very caring community. They're selling, celebrating Annabelle's birthday after church, which we do each week, uh, each time we have a birthday. And that is uh, Jane Siebert's in the picture this way, facing the group as Jane blessed our downstairs space, our new downstairs space. Uh, but it is a great, it's become a nice group of people, and we've, uh, but it is, but it, they have to be open-minded, particularly the older ones. The average age of our church when it came was 80 years old, about 70, 80 years old, I'm not kidding. Um, and so that takes an open mind when you're at that age to say, we're going to try something that's really new and different, and open to be open to strangers coming in. Um, and it wouldn't have worked if they didn't. So hosting I Now Dialogue. One of the, we talked about how the culture is really broken and we don't speak to each other. Church, unfortunately, in my perspective, has picked a side, usually. 
the urban churches have kind of chosen the progressive side of politics. The rural churches have signed up for the conservative in general. And so what we've done is we've amplified the polarization. We have not been a space that says, you are welcome whatever your beliefs are. And uh, we have made it a point, after I preach, we have a discussion every week, and you can share any political view or any view, and it's, <coughs> nobody has to agree, but we do hear everybody. And uh, we had one week where one of our long-term members, uh, Helen, who's been in the church for 25 years, got up and cried and said, this is the place where I can speak without being judged and make mistakes. I might not get it right, but at least you listen to me. So we have to create that eye in our relationship with each other. Annabelle came to me with a great idea. She's very involved with uh, Korean politics, South Korea's politics, and said, there's this monk who is the most revered monk in South Korea for peace. And he comes to the United States, and, he's, and he actually speaks before Congress on the Korean situation. Would you meet with him and do political strategy? And I did, we met a couple times, we really became friends through a translator, doesn't speak English. And uh, then Annabelle said he really would love to come to town and he'd like to do a town hall meeting at your church that would be broadcast back to South Korea. Could you, do, could you foster that? And the group that he did, I brought all the food in, we had a small studio audience that you can see there standing in the center. <coughs> That's him preparing his recorded remarks. I thought that was cute, him on his cell phone. Um, and he's just, he's one of those like Dalai Lama type figures that when you're around him you can feel that energy. He is that kind of person. So it was a beautiful discussion. It was a hard-nosed political discussion with a lot of debate in the room. And uh, Annabelle is a uh, progressive activist in politics. I'm more on the conservative side of things. We have done live discussions at key moments in front of the congregation to say how can we talk about this from a faith perspective, not having to agree, but we talked about the governor's race in Virginia. We said, what is forgiveness in politics for what happened? We had a, and people really weighed in, and nobody was judged, and so we had a great discussion. But holding that space where everybody is a blessing, everybody is created in the image of God, um, and, and, and at this time of polarization, that's becoming another unique space for us. Uh, Do you teach skills in that? We have not. Annabelle has encouraged me to do like uh, YouTube videos of explaining it. Um, but it's interesting. I will say this, because I do a lot of left-right civil dialogue stuff. What I am discovering is that, uh, from my perspective, this can't be done without spirituality. That's why I'm integrating it. Um, the ability to forgive, the ability not to need to be right, the ability to let people make mistakes, that's being lost right now. And I believe those are spiritual. I think the more you develop your spiritual life, the less you need to be right, the less you need to win, the less you need to crush your opponent. Um, and so I, that's why I put it in, I think it's a um, spiritual entrepreneur incubator opportunity. Uh, and I'll give you one second, just one quick story. Uh, there's a grant proposal right now uh, for a civil society um, uh, project that is based in a faith-based setting. So we're applying for it, so it could be a large grant, but we think that's our chance to really teach this through uh, possibly a podcast that we want to do. Um, but the main thing is, we don't agree politically on much of anything. We love each other, and we really respect each other, and we almost end every conversation by saying, I really never thought of that that way before. And I'll certainly think about it next time. So we do want to teach, we're figuring out how to teach it. Um, but right now, we're just trying, just with our congregation, just with these efforts, we're trying to teach it. There, would you add anything to that? But you almost always agreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> she thinks I've always agreed. That's my recollection. <laughs> right. That is true. That is true. I've noticed that. <laughs> she will think that, yeah, you agree. No, we don't. Um, any other? Oh, you had a question. Yeah. Do you think that polarization is random or intentional? Currently. And I guess how much do you have to think back historically in the events of 1918 and the events of 1989 were, was polarization part of what happened? I think that, uh, so, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about what caused polarization. I would just say, from my perspective, a couple of things. And it gets back to the first slide. With the downfall of church and faith and believing in something bigger than yourself, politics has filled that vacuum for people. So they worship at the altar of the political parties. And truly, they treat people of different political views as heretics, 
that must be shunned and punished, put in the stocks, and their voice must be silenced. Those are all heretical spiritual energies that spirituality, fortunately, is much more ecumenical today. We don't do that. The politics has taken that on. So people do, I think, that's one of the energies. There's a lot of other factors of sorting and sorting politically and sorting geographically. People now move into places where they will agree with people. And we found the church people are also learning to keep their mouth shut if they're in the minority. So you don't even know people have different viewpoints in your own group because they've learned that they'll get their head knocked off if they share it. So, um, but with the loss of spirituality, I think polarization, and I actually think it's one of the most dangerous energies in the culture right now, because if it continues, we'll eventually go to violence. And I kind of feel like we're on that path right now. So we talk about peacemaking in the abstract, um, but I think hope and letting people know that I can hear your viewpoint, disagree with you, and love you, and disagree. Or like I don't think that I'm agreeing with you. One point was you, you would have to be afraid to say what your religion was because you would get your head knocked out for that too. I don't think that happens much anymore these days, but for political, that does happen. Um, and so I think the result of that is then you tend to want to migrate towards the people that are, are, are like you because then you feel more comfortable and safer there. So that even divides people even more. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's well said. And not only that, not only are we becoming closeted in our political views, we're also spiritual people becoming more closeted. So they're now afraid, at least in the urban areas that we're in, people will say, I don't really want to tell anybody. I, I absolutely do believe. I'm, I, I like your service because it feels some of the things you said kind of orthodox. But I'm afraid to say that uh, for fear of being judged as a Christian because that's a bad thing. So it's, it, it is a time when people are not feeling able to share their viewpoints on a lot of different fronts. And this one wasn't even very controversial, though at one point he said something positive about Donald Trump in the presentation, and that's a, you know, a trigger in Washington. 96% of our city voted for Hillary Clinton. And he said, I want you to open your mind to this. It might be a little bit different than you think. And the room was like, okay, I trust him. Maybe I'll we to think about what he's saying. Okay. But otherwise, um, we want to continue doing that. Okay, now provides business expertise. That's not something you think of churches doing. And yet, uh, when I'm working with entrepreneurs, and frankly, every minister is an entrepreneur. Every minister is trying to figure out a budget, uh, a projection, they're appealing for funds, they're saying, if we, if we get the money, we can do this. These are all business things that they're ill-prepared for. And the next gen is very into entrepreneurs, and for the reasons we discussed at the beginning, um, and what's interesting in this group, the group on the left and the right, George Economy in the book in that bottom right hand, the white hair is our new chairman. And uh, as I'm doing a brief update on the church tomorrow, but I was praying, God, I need somebody who understands the budget and can help me. I did a correspondence, and this gentleman walked in, retired from Washington State to DC, saw a spiritual entrepreneur on the website, said, I walked past seven Episcopal churches to come to your church, and his last name is Economy. <laughs> and I was like, that's a correspondence. Uh, and then Joseph Smith is one of our uh, preachers who fills in for me all the time and attends. He's got his own ministry. But the other group above, what's interesting about that is that they were a group that was renting in the church that nobody knew of. And they were conscious capitalism. And so I said to them, we're doing spiritual entrepreneurship. You're conscious. Can we do a group meeting together? And it turned out they're very into more of the Hindu meditative faith. That's that's kind of how they're spiritual. And they couldn't believe that I would say, but we're totally cool with that. In fact, would you do a Hindu blessing before we start our meal? And I'm like, I can't believe you're yielding the ground to a Hindu. And so it's still a shocker, but over time people get it. So, uh, and then those guys down there, uh, Nikki I mentioned, what he's brought to the table, and he helped us do peer space, which brought in $5,000 of new rentals at the end of last year. So do not write off young people as, oh, they can't give anything. They're, they're going to be, just reach out to them. Skylar in the middle, uh, you might have met last year at convention, is a DJ and has a, his own business. Antonio on the left is my assistant in my for-profit venture world. He's the son of the owner of the company and runs numerous businesses. And he's attracted to the church because he was raised pretty much nothing. But he's a better Christian than I am. And 
but he's interested in how you do the business. And wants to do it. And they want to do an incubator um, in that space that you see downstairs, and we're working that out. That's what we were discussing with the group above. Okay, and then offers investments opportunities. Now, what? How could churches offer investment opportunity? This was Paige. I think you were saying in the beginning. What about B corps and so forth? Social impact investing is the fastest growing area of investment in the United States. What does it mean? It means that I invest and I, I measure two things. I return, I get on my investment, that's traditional. I also measure social impact. If I have to pick one or the other, I'm going to pick social impact. So this is a case study where I'm working outside the church, but it's interesting. Faith-based program, father for Breto, left Italy, moved to Nicaragua in the 1950s. He died in 1990, and he just served before. And he set up schools, the kids didn't have schools. And Nicaragua is the poorest country in Latin America. And where he has set up his ministry is the poorest of the poor. So I've been working with this organization. These two boys are in the program. And they have developed a whole school system, all charity, school system, agriculture system, and so forth. They've come, and it's a $5 million nonprofit, $5 million a year nonprofit. What I was there doing was we were studying what products we could move into the for-profit category and create a venture fund. And so their goal, they all joined me for a meeting with them because they're based in Chicago, so when we landed, we met with them here. Their goal is to raise $5 million from 12 of their individuals for a for-profit investment fund that invests in the profitable coffee, passion fruit, and chai, okay? That could get an 8% return for investors. And the investors are like, I get my money back? And I can do. I could end poverty in a family. So we in the church have to start thinking about this. We have to think in the way that capitalism and investment could be used for good. And I, I jokingly say we need to start Holy City Ventures, where we invest in it, the entrepreneurs. And just saying that, I've had people say, I would do that. I would invest in. I'd invest in that. If it's if it's real, and are you really going to bring the, the, any kind of money back? I say it's a $1.1 trillion market. This is a shocker. But church, religious groups in America today have $1.1 trillion under investment somewhere. I say religious, it could be all based. A trillion dollars invested. None of them pretty much know where it's invested. What if, every, I'm on the, what if our church and every church took a sliver of our endowments and said, we're going to find the Swedenborgian spiritual entrepreneur this year? completely back, give them the coaching, the investment to create something completely new in the world. We want to get our return, and we want to see them do good. It's a new way of thinking, so we're actually talking to some investment firms about investing in the entrepreneurs that might work out of Church of the Holy City. Faith-based wealthy people really like this idea, but it has not completely come into being yet, but I think it is the future. I think when you you know, we talk a lot of theology, when you talk to someone who's trying to do something good in the world, it's not long before they talk to you about money. Okay? We, you know, people say, I don't, I don't want to worry about money. But the truth is, you can't go to the grocery store and say, I'm doing my spiritual calling. Can I have the coffee and bread and milk for free? No, you've got to pay. You've got to pay rent if you live in the city. We need to treat our entrepreneurs with that respect that they have to live alone um, and help them do it. So what I, this is our group, one of our group meetings kind of hashing this out in our, our parlor. And it, it really, you, for churches to want to do this, you've got to be creative, curious, and you have to be open to facilitation. Uh, one thing that you're promising when I'm facilitating a meeting, it ends, it's not going to go over time. We're honoring your time. That's a big factor. And we're going to listen to people as we do it. So it really was a process of the church. And the, you'll see older and younger mixed. And that's the nature of the group. Everybody's in it. It's not like we pushed out certain people to get other people involved. It's not one person's vision against others. It, it's, it's everybody's vision. So I say change is hard. I mentioned that la this last year, uh, we, we got approval finally, thanks to the denomination for a loan, to really tackle the church's very, very undercapitalized, probably into the millions of dollars of undercapitalization. But the basement was particularly bad. It was so moldy that it really stung my eyes. And I didn't ever want to bring anybody downstairs when they came to the church. The church is really beautiful, but the mold. And it was a wasted space. But we have other issues, too. We were debating what to do. And we got the loan from the denomination last year. And then August of last year, uh, nobody's there in the summer because it's too hot. We don't have air conditioning. 
I went down to the basement and the ceiling had collapsed. So thank God nobody was using it. And, uh, but I was like, okay, God, I think this is a good suggestion. Um, maybe it's cleaning up this pile of debris. Might be a good place to start. So we began to be like contractors, right? A lot of ministers end up being contractors. And we put together a process of what we could do with that space. Blow out the ceilings, redo the walls. And interestingly, if you look at that, these are the alley windows there. The two on the left and the right were both ripped over at some point, probably in the 60s. So there was, it was a very dark space. Only until we smashed out the walls, we find there were windows there. And you can see they were burned. So there was probably a fire. And they just ripped them over. So uh, you can see down below, that, that was kind of amazing. It transforms the space, did the ceilings, and we, uh, you know, change is hard, and it requires this physical sort of work sometimes. But this could be an incubator space, and, uh, which we love to have it for. And that's what it looks like today. Okay, completely transformed. So now it's kind of the space that everybody wants to use in the church. Everybody walks in and wants to use the space. And Jane came and blessed it. And as she was walking down the street on a board in our city, we have history, history on the board there. Have you ever seen those? We have like historical photographs of a neighborhood. The Swedenborg Church is right there. That's one of our general, that's one of our conventions in front of Church of the Holy City at the turn of the century. And so Jane's pointing to that. So um, I do make the point that we are doing this in partnership. We couldn't have done it. We couldn't do this vision without the denominations working with us and, and Jane's support and others. Um, and we're standing on the shoulder of angels. This is a lady auxiliary group in the door of the church, uh, probably in the 1920s. Uh, we're living off of their endowments. We're living off of their good work. We're li their names are on all the stained glass. So we're, we're in partner with angels, too, people who have passed on. I love that picture. Isn't that awesome? So, meeting the needs of the rising generation, the holy city bringing heaven to earth. I think our churches could be that place. We have all the ingredients. Questions? What do you mean by an incubator space? Okay, so an incubator space, remember when I was talking about WeWork having all those desks? So an incubator space, generally, uh, the way it works, and it really comes out of Silicon Valley. And they would basically say, we like your idea, your idea, and your idea. We're going to pay for you. We're going to give you an investment. You're going to be in this space, so you'll office here. We're going to give you coaching, coffee, maybe healthcare, and you're going to get everything you need to make your idea a reality. We're going to incubate in this space. So these are very popular in Silicon Valley. That's great if we're going to get a new app that tells you where you can get the best coffee, right? And, I, and, I, and that's, not what, that's not solving the greatest problem, but it could be the most profitable. And I'm basically saying, what if we use those same principles and put all that love, coaching, investment, and support of people who have visions you know, and had a dream of how they could spiritually change the world? And maybe they don't even have the business background, but maybe we have a business coach with them. So you incubate and put that all around them. Um, I would say in our discussions, time management is one of the big issues. How do you build people? Um, what accounting services do you use? So uh, that's, that's what it means by incubating. And so it really could be the space. Um, when you Great question. So the question is, when you're incubating it, do you take a percentage? In the Silicon Valley model, yes. In fact, there's a lot of really, I would say, almost nefarious incubators that are quite famous, and they'll take such a large portion of your ownership as being in their space that by the time you get launched, you won't have that much personal value anymore. Why do they do it? Because when you don't have any money, and someone's offering you everything, you don't know how percentages work, what a cap table is, so you do give it away. We're trying to figure out a different way to do it. We're, we, we have not set it up that way. And we're looking at other models to do it. For example, we're saying um, loans. You pay back loans, you back into the system. We're also saying that the group, we're getting a group now that kind of wants to office there. You can't just be about your business, you have to help everybody else. So if you find a funder, you have to share that with everybody. So create more of a community. Um, but I don't, the business model is still something we're really working out. 
because I do have some investors interested and we're looking what would be the return for that because the the entrepreneurs that we're asking about some of the people we're talking to their incubation their their ideas are so risky because they're so new that it's hard to completely predict but uh, one model off the top of our head I said there's 6,000 churches that are closing a year imagine if we had a consultancy that went to those churches and said you don't necessarily have to sell you could do this we'll set it up for you and turn key, and you could save your building, be involved, be on the board, and have ownership in what's next. Um, that could be something. So it's going to be a creative model, but I'm not. But we don't do the. Uh, so far, we haven't done the percentage thing. Great question. I'm wondering whether the microfinance model might fit. Uh, certainly, the group, the group loan, and the group working together, uh, that fits that microfinance. Absolutely. So there's something called Kiva, which is a leading microfinance. I'm one of their, uh, what do they call it, ambassadors, which really means they, they really, they, with the, with the way Kiva works is you, you donate money to somebody, uh, you give money, and you're supposed to get it back, but nobody ever asks for it back. So Kiva just keeps reinvesting. So the Kiva makes a lot of money, and so do the entrepreneurs. Um, we're, that's actually a very safe way to start. Loans are the best way and most traditional way of supporting a business because everybody understands it. And it was really how we're doing with the denomination. We're paying interest. Um, that, that's for the denomination. They can get their money back plus interest, which is a cool model, so it's there for the future. <laughs> something we could look at, and so it's, it's something we're looking at right now. Um, we've already started with some people saying, I can't afford your, so if they're gonna do business coaching with me, I'll say, well, we would charge you for that. You know, the church would charge you for that. Okay, well, I can't afford it. Well, would you agree to pay it when you have the funds? Or you, playing with that a little bit too. Just to create a different community of accountability. Um, Are there some things. other services that they could do for the church? And the, and the other thing is... Renovations you need to yes, there's a lot of things they could do for the church. <laughs> and interestingly, um, in the beginning, people are always thinking, you're a minister, I know what your game is. Your game is to get me into your church. Going back to the beginning, I don't really trust ministers. And so uh, I literally do not push anybody to come to church or anything like that. And when you want to become a member, and Annabelle knows, you have to ask. I don't hound you about it. And so we really do make it, but I do believe in the big picture of things, this will be a way to grow the church. But it can't be the primary reason. Yeah, I wasn't thinking yeah. of that. I was thinking of physically helping. I mean, I'm hearing there needs to be yes. a lot of renovation. And That's a good point. Um, so are there some organizing files? Um, I like that just for the equality and to do it. I just wanted to mention that uh, Johnny Appleseed employed some of the things you two were just talking about, including uh, taking payment later, if at all, mm -hmm. and also barter. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. That's a really good point. I need to study Johnny Appleseed more. The, the chairman of our church, who, you know, again, didn't know Swedenborg about two years ago, George Economy is now an expert on Johnny Appleseed. He's teaching me, so you're teaching me. So. There are models, this has been done. People think it's very foreign. Uh, to your point earlier, it's been done by the Roman Catholic Church uh, to keep the monasteries going. They created businesses to feed themselves. Um, it creates a sustainable way of not having to depend on just pure philanthropy. How would that be compatible with like 501c3 status of the church? Or are you thinking of switching between not-for-profit, non-profit, or? Great question. But so I don't understand you're really getting into the nitty gritty. What's the business structure? And uh, I have done, so I have my degree in theology. I never went to business school. I avoided math and economics as much as possible, um, but ended up fundraising. And now I'm, um, I'm doing so much coaching and strategy around the country with social entrepreneurs, but they failed to get investment because they couldn't put their budget together. They couldn't do the money side. So one of the, for that reason, I'm now I'm an accountant. And I've, I've now immersed myself in what are the business models, and when can a 501c3, which means a charitable entity, do things, and it can go a long way toward this, actually. It can do a lot. It can, uh, you know, most hospitals are 501c3, for example. Uh, so you can go a long way doing a business under a 501c3, but there is, uh, 
I recently just wrote an article which I can share with everybody who's interested called For Profit or Nonprofit, Why Not Both? So you can partner uh, a limited liability corporation and a 501c3 right next to each other. And that's what I'm doing for Brexit. That's a 501c3, but now they're going to have a for profit return for investors doing certain products. So we can figure, we'll figure that out. What are, what are we doing? So let's just use this as an example. Let's say this model catches on, and other churches have been very interested in DC, what we're doing and talking to us. What if that becomes a consulting business? That could become a for profit venture, at least they're consulting. And it could be another LLC. Here's the one thing you do have to be careful is you cannot benefit in a 501c3 from the investments you're doing in the for profit. But uh, it's not as hard as it sounds. Yes, two questions. Um, so what advice would you have for churches that don't have you at the helm? That, um, with people that don't have connections in venture capital or the business world, political world, or like, uh, what are maybe small steps that other churches could do to move into these kinds of directions? I think the small steps that you could take in this direction is letting the community know that you're open to using the space for their nonprofit, for-profit business. We actually want to help and support you in that. that we, we, our denomination doesn't see it as a separate thing. We see you as a whole person, and you're going to do your thing. You can do it here. This, how can this community support you in what you're doing? And I think just starting with that, they will have more knowledge, actually. Like, if they're in Wilmington, they'll know who the investment community is, probably, so on and so forth. What they might need most in the very beginning is space, because it's very expensive in urban areas. So, space. Um, but it is, I will just also say, what they are also craving, at least the crowd that we're talking to, is some inner journey. You know, uh, I've had more conversations with people about going through a dark night of the soul. And they say, I've never heard that in the business world. But you're right, I am in complete depression and alienation and everything's falling apart, but I'm really working on my spiritual life. And I said, this is totally normal. I never heard that. So I think we can play both of those roles. And I think with your pastoral background, just being there for that, that aspect would be great. So one, two. I'm still trying to understand the role, the relationship between congregation members and people you're recruiting for either investment or innovators. So the congregation, we'll, we'll see it. They could split into different entities. Um, under an umbrella, it could be different groups. But right now, Truthfully, the congregation is saying, we control this space. We can keep it for ourselves and do our thing and read Swedenborg and be very happy because we're going to exit and we're going to have a Swedenborg sermon in the church until we're all dead. That could be a But they have to say, no, I actually think there's something new being created in the world. So that's, they just have to be open and curious to what, could, what they don't know be open to that happening and let other people, let experts come in um, and, and work with them, partner with them. Okay, they don't but, have to be either the innovators or the investors. No, but I did like that, no. They, they probably, in my church, they won't be. But what's also very cool is um, we put together a dinner. I had my members, you know, many close to 80 years old, and most of the room was 25 years old. And they really enjoyed talking to each other, as Dr. Fox was saying. Like, wow, I could actually have a conversation with older generation, and they just shared their views, but then they also asked questions like, what's an incubator? Or what's a cap table? Or, so it, it could be like that. Um, my husband and I kind of study, and we did we study Tai Chi University in Northwest Virginia for this four to three days, so we can be practice leaders, so we have 25 hours of training. And we were thinking of leading uh, Tai Chi. They taught us how to teach it with people sitting in chairs, or standing using their arms only or walking, but we have a lot of ethnic people in our neighborhood, all different, we have Indian, Chinese, you know, all kinds of people. So we're just thinking, even just offering Tai Chi or yoga or things like that, just to let people know that this, you can come here, you can come into the space and meet us, you know. Totally, totally, Get, that's a great point. Get them into the space yeah. for a concert, for a yoga class, you know. Our, our board chair was at the door the other day, and a woman said, can I get in? He said, why? She said, I had a yoga class here three years ago, and it changed my life. Can I take a photograph of it? Because I, I need it. So you don't know what impact the church can, the space can have, but I think getting people in, 
We're not going to do it in the very beginning. We're not going to do it by passively waiting for people to come in without any message of what makes us unique. I'm on 16th Street. Our church is there. We have more churches on that street than anywhere in the United States. There's one on every block. So, I mean, what's your point? And, you know, you're, you're inclusive. Sounds Unitarian. So what? There's a Unitarian church right up the block. You know, so what makes you different? Our theology is very unique and also uh, being open like you're, you're doing right now. And that could be a business that you could charge money for and train people and certify people. Rich, I hate to cut you yes, off, but the choir is coming. Choir is coming in. So we will <laughs> we'll wrap it up, and I'll come around all, the whole rest of the time so we can follow up the person. But thank you so much for all the great questions. Thank you. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.